you know, I, 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 I used to be part of a, a black men's um, group, black fathers group, it was called, and it was a support group. And, you know, I, I, it was it was tremendous. I learned so much. Um, I had to change my perspective on things so many times. I, I could say every time I went. Hello and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewanfo. And I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. And one of the things that I learned was that the power of the story is absolutely immense. And that's the first thing. And the the second thing is, who is telling the story and why? Um, And different ways of telling the story (coughs) <coughs> Excuse me. That could be through art. It could be through music. It could be through film, um, dance, all sorts of different narratives. Um, and then we've just accepted the story coming to us, but we're not. And and you know, stories can be tell, told in a very compelling um, and elegant way. So we take. I, I was just listening to Denzel Washington actually uh, the other day, and he was talking about. Um, uh, Steven Spielberg writing um, Schindler, Schindler's List, and um, he was talking about um, oh the, uh, the Italians writing films about the mafia, and then he was saying, but as black people, we wouldn't. There would be no one that would be able to tell the story of the feeling of a hot comb going through your hair, and you know that kind of thing. So it's not being I mean, I suppose what he was saying, it's not being racist that, you know, from your culture, you want to tell your story. Look, I was just um, hearing on telly, have you heard of this film called Bend It Like Beckham? This is a deep film. So it's about a, a Sikh girl who um, goes to the park and plays football with the boys. But, you know, a traditional Sikh family don't want their family to play football and don't want girls to play football. So um, that's the, the the kind of essence of the film. So the film was in, uh, I think it was like 1989 or 90. I can't, I don't know the date. I'm not, that's not my specialist. Anyway, as a result of that film, there were papers being written in all sorts of universities across the world about the film. The film was written by a Sikh woman who thought that, she should write this film. And um, there are now football teams springing up who have been, that are Sikh girls that have been inspired by the film. And I thought, my God, how powerful is that? That somebody wrote a film and now they're writing university papers about it. And, you know, it's inspired people to go down the the football pitch and and start playing. So it's, it's, you know, I, I agree with you what you say about, you know, how we get divided is A, by language and B, by not having, you know, a sort of military protection, which I, I don't know. I don't really know if I have a, an opinion by that, but it is about many communication, how we communicate, um, what we say and who says it and making it something of a story that that means something to you. Um, so I suppose that's my that's my idea about um, storytelling. You know, it, it, it's got to be us that tells the story. And this is why I like podcasts, because 
it's us. It's nobody else. I'm not being influenced by anybody in this room, definitely, or outside. And I guess you're not. So it's that it's that it's that connection, that cohesiveness that makes us feel like we're learning. And then when when that happens, then we grow. Yeah, and yeah, we and have an opportunity then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that is very powerful. It, it looks like a kind of a safe place where we can express ourselves. I remember that, that should be a couple of days ago. I was interviewing a lecturer in the U.S. Uh, about African history. I was telling her, of course, it, the, the conversation actually went a little bit deep and it was very, very interesting. A lot of people view it and continue to view it uh, that in this space, we will share this moment. If we need to cry, we cry together. If we need to, to shout, we shout together. This is just brother and sister relating on issues that are important to us. And of course, in this case, looking at the issue of African-American, their story, your journey, where you are coming from. But if we dig a little bit now, we see that we are coming from the same place. We are coming from the same neighborhood. Okay, it can be that, okay, your ancestors were coming from Congo, whereas mine are coming from Nigeria. But we can actually dip also deeper on that to see that, yeah. okay, we were actually coming from the Nubia world or coming from Egypt or coming from other parts so that we have been missing and missing and missing all along. So we are basically the same people. And this story, it is us that must, that must tell it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I find, I find it very, very interesting, this conversation that we have here. I think, I think what you said is interesting, you know, that we, we are obviously separated, obviously. We have the power now to kind of reduce that separation. We've got, you know, we've got technology that when it works and we've got, we've got all sorts of different types of media that we can use to tell that story. And when you were saying that, it made me think about, you know, sometimes we're going along in life and we don't know that that thing is missing until you hear it, until you see it, until you feel it. Um, so, and that that, fill, that fills in the gaps, you know. I think the, the perpetual question that man will have is, you know, who am I? Why am I here? And if if those gaps of being part of something is missing, it, it, it makes it frustrating for somebody. It makes it hard to kind of really um, tie up um, who you are you know I, look, I was born in I was born in England I lived in England all of my life I don't, I don't feel like an English person I don't feel like it um I'm not I, you know I I don't they're not I'm not made to feel English I know I'm Jamaican I know I'm African I know that and even even when I go to Africa and Jamaica sometimes I'm not made to feel like that so we have to we have to find a way to reduce that idea of of other we have other people telling us we're other outside we don't need to keep doing that so i think the more things we can do the more things we can get involved in and 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 demonstrate in all sorts in all sorts of different ways the more we can see how much we can do our um potential and how much we are i mean i i always say to my my i've got a lot of nieces and I've got I've got um, a daughter. And one one time I was talking to my daughter, and I said, you know, the, the the issue is that we are so powerful, and we are so powerful together that I think it scares other people. I think that, and I think once we can let go of you being other and you being part of me, part of my family, then I think this this 
this idea of unity, I think if you central to this is, is love, and if you put love and unity together, right, and always come back to that base, whether we have a difference of opinion or not, I think this power is going to be immense. Look at Tyler Perry, where he's coming from. He's got one of the biggest recording, well, I think it's the biggest record, um, uh, film studios in the world. You know, you've got football players and um, actors and all sorts of people, Beyonce, um, Jay-Z, billionaires. This is about togetherness. This is about, sometimes you have to let go to move forward. So you have to let go to learn. You have to let go to listen. Um, and I think, I think, you know, coming back to the idea of storytelling is having, you know, you and people like you being having that place where we can get our story told is the thing that's going to another element that's going to um, deepen our understanding of what we are and what, what we're capable of. I really appreciate that. That, that is important. All right, now let's get started with today's conversation because this is part of what we are doing here now. We're trying to uh, do the story, try to talk to ourselves, try to hear from ourselves, and try to I try to heal ourselves also because story also heal. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, give us a little background of you. Uh, where were you born, and what was the reality around you? So let's let's take it from there. Okay, so I was born in London. Um, um, I was actually born in I think I was born in Westminster, or well, maybe I wasn't. I think I was. Maybe I was. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it's because I've got ideas of grandeur. Um, uh, so I grew up in Wandsworth in, in South London. Um, my um, father did not live with us. Um, I did know him, but he didn't live with us. Um, I had um, a young age. My my sister came uh, to uh, England. That was before I was born. And then my mum sent for my brother um, from Jamaica. And that was definitely, you know, they can speak for themselves, but that was a culture shock for them. And it was it was the happiest day for me when they came because I had a, a family like that. Um, so that was in South London. Yeah, then I went to school um, and um, I remember that I, I had mixed fortunes at school. Um, because I was really interested in lots of things, but didn't have the enough inspirational teachers to get on and kind of let me let me explore my my full potential. Um, so that that was hugely frustrating for me. Um, and then I, I left school um, with not many qualifications, um, and then I began working in in um, set building. That's interesting, the way they tell the stories. So I built sets um, for a little while. Um, then I become interested in communication. So I did a course in communication. And that was the thing that I really loved. I loved the idea of communication. I remember my mum used to say to me, I asked too much questions. And, and I, I always want to know why, why this, why that? What, how does this work? And so I, I think it was like, my mind and my spirit is just always searching for uh, meaning and to make that meaning something that makes sense and not everything um you know that that is about is gonna make sense i suppose so yeah from there um uh, what happened yeah i had a few other jobs um um just kind of random random kind of jobs um 
And then what's, I suppose, in, in customer service and now, you know, I ran a restaurant for a little while um, and then I, I had a family. So um, I got married and um, we had two children. Uh, sadly, my wife passed away and then um, I got married. Sorry about, sorry about that. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Thank oh, you. Um, th and then, um, so I got married again um, um, to my wife, who's my, still my wife. We've been married 25 years now and we have a, um, a son. Um, so we've got three children and three grandchildren, another one on the way. Um, so that's the family stuff. Um, what I realised had been difficult is that the start that I had um, at school, um, because I didn't have any people, I didn't have enough people around me that could, you know, I do believe in education, but I also believe in potential. And, it, you know, formal education isn't everything. It, it is great, but it's not everything. And I think in, in definitely in our culture, it's, it's given this high watermark. <clears throat> so what I, why I'm saying that is because, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to go to I didn't know I had the opportunity, rather, to go to a university or college. Um, and sometimes I look back on that with sadness. And so when I continued my sort of career, I realised that I could go to I could go to university myself. Um, so I went to university and I studied um, counselling and therapy. Um, and at the time, I was a money financial literacy trainer. And it was that work really that, in, that made me study therapy because what I was doing, OBA, I was talking to people about money and I realized that this was a subject that people do not like to talk about. Um, and then I wondered why, why was it so bad? Why was it so hard and painful? So um, the, the groups that I ran were successful, um, but I wanted to know why again my curiosity why is it successful and I think I think it's because of um I, you know my nature allowing people to feel comfortable to talk and explore and 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 kind of I think once you do that you you kind of get things off your mind and let other people hear it and you know you'll find out that other people are going through similar circumstances other people are doing things that are inspiring and different so that took me on the journey of um, learning about therapy. Um, I didn't become a therapist then, I just had the qualification. And then um, I was still doing the money management stuff. Um, and, that, and now um, at the moment, I'm a, I work in recruitment. So um, again, I work, that's different about curiosity, learning about businesses. What do businesses do? What do they need? Um, how do you match people? Um, you know how do you how do you have sort of retention in business and stuff like that? So I work with I've been past two years I've been working with a lot of young people. Uh, that's fascinating. Education system and um, education uh, get qualifications, but not about money. And you're going to get money when you get a good job. So that was interesting to me. Um, but the, the education system is also not teaching them about um, how to get a job and what jobs there are 
And it's just interesting that there's a big disconnect between, you know, your qualifications and what happens when you get the qualifications in terms of jobs. So I see young people sit down in front of me and I say, what did they teach you in terms of now where you are now? And they said, they say just about being obedient, just following the rules. Um, And I think we're in a different space now where we do have to follow, you know, the rules so that, you know, they don't get arrested and hurt, but, you know, it was a creative space where we can do a lot. So a lot of young people, I, I think, are lacking confidence in the, in the job market. So really, that's where I am now. Um, I'm working on a book with my daughter, a storybook. Um, so she's studying at the moment. So when she finishes, then we can kind of complete that. And I think as a grandfather now, um, which is a role which I absolutely adore, I adore that role, it's 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 now being able to kind of transfer some of the hopes, I suppose, the experiences and some of the passions and the culture that we have in our family and as black people and how we've overcome things and how um, different things mean what they mean to us, um, to, to this generation, to give them some stuff that we didn't have as um you know, when we were growing up, when we were growing up, there were lots of things that, you know, as black people, we didn't talk about. And I didn't understand why, because I'm I'm nosy. I want to know why, 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 why? <laughs> so, yeah, that's really why I suppose that's that's brought me about here. Um, All right. Now, we're going to spend so, some more time on your, on your childhood now, uh, because, of course, you're no longer a child now. You are, uh, now you are a grandfather now, no? But of course, help us understand you when you were much smaller so that other people younger who are listening to, to us just now can benefit from you, can make comparison. They can understand what was going on in your time compared to what is going on in their time. They, they, of course, they have to make their own conclusion at the end of the day. So when you were growing up as a young, uh, as a young person of African descent in the UK, how was, uh, how was your environment like in terms of the relationship that you had with the people? Uh, between you and the state and the society generally uh, give us some curiosity wow so um to be honest i didn't know what racism was i didn't know what it was but i experienced it um the way in which we were treated at school i didn't understand why uh, we were treated different i remember i had a friend um he was nigerian and the teacher came out of the class and just slapped him in his face. And I just didn't understand, Joseph, his name was, I didn't understand why. And this didn't happen to white children. Um, So imagine being 11 or 12 and that happening. And there was no, we didn't even use the words, so that was a real challenge. Um, Not being, you know, first generation of of Black British, not having the sort of the depth of um, grounding of 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 being here was was difficult, um, and I think so. You you just it just kind of like you know you didn't even I didn't even go home and talk about it. Um, we we grew up in a time where everything other people did was right. And you know we felt like um, we weren't listened to, and um, really we just had to get on. 
we just had to get on. So that was really tough. Um, uh, you know, I, I've, I've got to mention music. You know, music played a massive part in my life. I, I would go as far as to say almost, you know, music is like my religion because the music that we listened to, it encouraged us, it supported us, it made us feel like we were one. Um, it made us learn about our history. It made us learn about um, things that were happening in the here and now. And it was it was limited to um, reggae and, and soul music, but it was uplifting music. And, and that was that was a massive, massive part of my um, um, upbringing. Um, but, you know, thinking about career, I always wanted to be a photographer. That was my dream. My um, aspiration uh-huh. was to, you know, it clicked. It, it clicked like cogs when I was about 12 or 13 is to be a photographer. And the, um, the teacher, I, I studied so much. And I said to the teacher, in my, in my audacity, that I can run this class and I want to run this class and teach everybody black and white photography, but I want you to teach me colour. And he said, no. I said, I, I can do it. He said, no. And then I said, all right, I want to do A-level photography. And he said, no. And that was like somebody had mortally wounded me. When I went to go and speak to the careers people, they said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a photographer. And they said, okay, here's a company where you can do engineering. I don't know how engineering wasn't, was connected to photography. So um, at the time, I didn't know about different careers. I didn't know that I could say no to this man. Um, I didn't know that I could be more uh, persistent. Um, so I think, you know, what I would say to young people now is find what you want to do and do it. And, and, and kind of, you know, try to stay on track and find others that are off that ilk that want to do that. And I think then, because that threw me off course, what I did, I, I learned, I tried to learn about lots and lots of different things to find out if photography is something I can't do, let me find other things to do. At English, I was very good at English as well. I didn't know that you could be a writer. Nobody said <laughs> that you could be a writer. I, Nobody said you could be a storyteller. Nobody said you could be a philosopher. Um, nobody said that you could be in, in finance, um, a lecturer, a, a scientist. I never knew these things. And that's why we need people that are doing these things, that are saying, you can do it, because it's it's true. It's true. So um, it's, it is a, it is a role model. Uh, now, you are talking of something important now, which is very, very uh, crucial to the African diaspora community, you know, in that we need more people to come out there and be become excellence in what they believe is theirs, you no? Know? It's not just the regular, you must be a doctor, you must be um, an yeah. engineer. If you are not there, you are a failure. No, there are people that are cut out for different things. You can even be a musician. So it is of this role model that we need so that our children, the young ones that are growing up, they can look out and say, okay, yes, I want to be like him. So in your case, how was it like? You, you may mention of the fact that nobody told you that you could be a writer here. So how was the, the reference for you like? And also maybe with other children that were growing up uh, with you around in London, wherever you were. I, I have to pause because you're so good. <laughs> Um, that's a very difficult question. 
um, so because I, I suppose, you know, when I look at it now, it's different to how it was then. The reference for me, it was one reference. The reference was Muhammad Ali. He was the reference. I never saw anything like it. You know, this was a man. This was a confident person. He was a poet. He, dis, he, he said he wanted to change his name. He changed his name. Um, he was, you know, an excellent um, athlete. He had charisma. Um, he was charming. He was good looking. Um, he was he was the role model, you know. He, he, no, my father's passed away. No disrespect to my father. But he was like my dad, this man. Um, I couldn't get enough of him. Um, but around us, physically around us, no. Um, you know, because we didn't have these, um, enough of these people. I'm sure you've heard about, it, it may have even happened to you when you watch telly and there's a black person on telly. You call all your friends, guess what? There's a black person on telly, uh, somebody on telly. And then you go and, what, you go and turn it over. And there's only three channels then. Um, but now you ask me this question now, then yeah, you know, I think about my mum. I think about her stoicism. I think about her calmness. I think about her ability to drive the family and keep it together. Remember my brother and, and sister were in a, another country, sending for them, working on her own and it making us safe. She's a hero. Um, so other, I could, you know, it, it, yeah, that's all I can think of. I know there were footballers, um, that inspired us. Um, um, there was, yeah, not many people. Frank Bruno, the famous boxer, he grew up uh, near where we lived, um, but he got kind of whisked away. So there wasn't any real pointers. You know, you could, you could, you could be like this. You could get into aeronautical engineering, or you could be like that. Because again, the story that was coming to us is that we are not there we're less than, and it's these other people that that do these things, um, and which, you know, obviously subsequently we, we've learned um, that, is, that is not true. So yeah, to answer your question, sadly, very few. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, <clears throat> again, for the people that are listening to us, for the younger people in the community, let's be uh, specific on that. What is the importance of having a role model uh, so that people can look up to look up to them. You don't necessarily need to be in this in the size of Muhammad Ali now, but at least yeah. within your area where you are growing up, you can have. You know, now this is important because if you live in a society, a kind of a community-based society, which is like that of Africa, you know, so maybe you are going wrong. You no, know, somebody can correct you. Somebody can sort yeah. of help help you out to sort of straighten your 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 head, you no, know, so that you don't become. Um, uh, a gangster, you don't become um, uh, a deviant, no. Because when you become mm. a deviant, now when you become when you become offline, you are a danger both to yourself and to the society. That is why it is the responsibility of those who have gone through the experience before to help the younger one uh, straighten up their life. So uh, for you to be able to do that, of course, they also have they need to have regard for you. They need to see you as a role model, is sort of. So I'm asking you, what is the importance of having this role model for the younger people within the diaspora community? It's gigantic. It's gigantic to, to have role models in the community. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, when he was, say, when he was talking that, I was thinking, 
you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, a gigantic, big personality like Muhammad Ali. It can be the small, smaller type people that can, you know, set you back on your path. I remember my son, um, he has a, a piano player, an African gentleman, and, you know, just his spirit alone. I, I remember just being able to talk to him and my son's called Jacob, being able to talk. So I think I think the, the role models don't have to be these people that are, you know, multimillionaires and actresses and uh, big time musicians and boxers and sports people. I think that I think everybody is. I think that's about how you conduct yourself um, as a as a person, as an adult, as an elder, um, you being, you know, someone that they can talk to, they can say, you know what, can, can we just have a talk about this? Um, or, uh, you know, I can see, you know, you're not happy about this. Um, I think seeing a reflection of you is important. And I think when we're growing up, we're always trying to find out who we are and what we can do. So role models are aunts and uncles and their cousins and brothers and sisters and, and, and mums and dads that are just doing a good job, you know. And the word you used was important, really important, um, regard. Regard means to look. And I think that, that role model is somebody that's, that's doing their life. You're, you do your life, but also they're looking out. They can see a young person. Um, and say, you know what, this would be a really good thing for you to do to um, to uh, increase your potential. I, I, I think is phenomenally important. I think as African people, that what's missing from us is this idea of the community. You know, everything that's that's we people aspire to. There is a few elements. It boils down to aspiration it boils down to persistence and creativity you know hard work I mean in a nutshell that's how people become elevated in their in their spirit whether that's in a career whether that's in a relationship or whether that's just in a hobby or even in a family so I think it's really important but the, the important thing is that the um people like that are able to connect. There's a program that's just come out. Um, I, we just started watching it yesterday. Idris Elba, the wonderful Idris Elba, has started a boxing club, right? For that's young people. <laughs> yeah, really interesting. Um, they're not interested in boxing. That's interesting. So interesting, all the discipline that you need for boxing all the, the, the training, the mindset, everything. He's put them up in the house. They've got to work together. But anyway, so he is a role model. And what he's done, he's found a method to get back to the community, to touch. He's walking around. You know, he grew up in Hackney. He's walking around Hackney. Just Idris Elba is in Hackney. And people are like, Idris. It's like, all right, bruv. And he's carrying walking. So I think we, we, as a as a as Africans have that responsibility to do our best for ourselves and our family. And then this is the next bit. And then it's how do we reconnect? How do we connect to our community so they can see, oh, it's not like I want to be like that. It's the it's the core elements 
that you can take. Like I said, uh, discipline, uh, hard work, creativity, um, all of these things, which are these things that, you know, Idris is teaching these young people uh, that they don't have. And so you want someone that's that's open and able to communicate um, about potential. So I don't think we can underestimate it. I used to. I used to think, oh, why do they keep talking about role models? Rubbish role models. What's this about? And maybe because I didn't have one. And I realised, you know, as Gandhi said, you have to be the change you want to see. So I, I take that very seriously. All right. Um, now, storytelling, we, we talked about it before. Anyway, before we get to storytelling uh, just now, I want to understand what kind of story were you hearing from your parents? Because now your parents, when they are telling you story, they are telling you story of their own parent too, of their own uh, people that are that have been before there. So that they tell it to you that you have the obligation of also telling it to your children so that your children pass it on to other children. So uh, from you going backward now, what were you hearing from your parents? They were telling you of their own growing up, the people they met, their own parent too, and all that. Educate us about that. We're interested in your story. Uh, this is a hard question. So, um, of course, parents, right. parents here mean people that are in the family, not, not necessarily your father, no? because I understand what have happened, what you said, no? but it might be somebody yeah. that comes from the family now and who sort of help you to understand where you are coming from. And because, again, among the African diaspora community, our connection is very important. Help me with that. Okay, all right. So, so the, I suppose the important person here is my brother. I think I was uh, eight or nine uh, when my brother came to England from Jamaica. It changed everything about my understanding about Jamaica. Um, I remember one of the first things that he used to sing Yellow Bird. Um, I think it's Harry Belafonte sings this song, Yellow Bird. Um, I'm not a singer, so I'm not going to try. And I was like, wow, that's a Jamaican song. Oh, my God. Um, so then I realised that there's, you know, we're, 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 listen, you know this, we're people of melody, all of us Africans. We have to have melody, some kind of music. And that was like, okay. He wasn't as, as deep into music as me. Um, but then he, he spoke about where he lived in Jamaica that he used to um, leave school and then go swimming in the in a in a in a lake. I was like, what? You know, and that was again, that was that blew my mind. Um some of the foods that he used to talk about that obviously we couldn't get. Um, again, that really made me get an idea, sense of um connection. But also difference that actually what we do, you know, we cook West, we cook West Indian food at, at home. Um, I got the sense that he was happy um, in Jamaica. Um, things are not perfect, but I got the sense that he was very happy. Um, and that was a very um, profound thing to know that this is what it's like in the West Indies. And obviously, that's not the case for everybody. Um, I could even feel the sunshine from him. And it was one time I went to Jamaica. He lives in Jamaica now. And I said, you know what? 
all these years, I still don't feel like I'm Jamaican. And he said, don't, don't let anybody tell you that. Don't let anybody tell you that. You're Jamaican. I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, so it, it, in terms of the story, um, it was um, it was my brother. Also, we, we grew close to a family. This family is called Watson. And um, the uh, family also came from Jamaica. And uh, one of the main people in the family, there was, there was, you know, three of them, three children. And they were our age, and we became like one big family. And um, Yui was the middle child. And he was Jamaican. And he had the, he had a drive. He had a passion. Um, he was uh, charismatic. He was a great footballer. Um, and uh, he... Sadly, um, three years ago, he passed away. But, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of related because it's my wife's, it's actually my wife's nephew, which obviously I didn't know at the time. But in terms of being a Jamaican, you know, he, he gave us this idea of being strong, being stoic. And, you know, he, um, it was his funeral, you know, three years ago. It's the biggest funeral I've ever seen. And what I, you know, I, I said a speech and I said, this is what legacy is about. This is what community is about. And that's what um, Yui was about. And that's what I didn't understand about West Indians and Jamaicans and Africans, that this, we are about community. And when we get stripped away from community into this idea, when I was at school, Obia, and they were talking about a nuclear family, you heard a nuclear family. And I was like, what are they talking about? I didn't know what, why were they talking about? It? Yeah, the next thing is a nuclear family. You have 2.2 children and blah, blah, blah. And when I used to speak to some of my uncles, they was like, what are they talking about? No, if a child's going to school and they look like they haven't got enough money, you give them the money, you give them, you know, you give them a couple of dollars, you go and buy some lunch and, you know, and that experience of community, um, I think is the main part of the story that I gathered from my brother um, and I, I got from my, from my dear friend, Yui, that, that, that's what we're about, but also about beauty, about art. Um, there's a, a woman, a famous Jamaican woman, her name's Louise Bennett. So Louise Bennett is an advocate for um, the Jamaican language. She says we should talk Patois. She's, got, she's a famous poet. And the, the interesting thing is she was going, she used to go to school with my mum. And, and my mum used to say, oh yeah, I used to go to school with Louise Bennett. Um, and it's that richness um, of, of being West Indian, Jamaican or African that I didn't know that we had. Richness of how we behave, which is of our music, our story, our heritage, um, the richness of you know, our art um, and the, the country um, and our spirit. So, you know, I, I don't know if this is answering the question, but it may, if you don't have that connection, you feel impoverished. You feel like, you know, riches aren't just money. It's not even money. It's about you. It's what's in you and what you connect with. So, I, yeah, to answer your question, I got that from definitely from my brother and a few other people, but but also from Yui as well. Uh-huh. <clears throat> All right, can you tell me more about this method of transmission or this information among you? 
uh, is it okay now among the African diaspora, particularly those that are coming from, let's say, West Africa or Africa or Nigeria to be specific in this case, they organize churches. And in this church, what I've understand in it, because I've gone around in, in my research, trying to understand this community, uh, because this podcast actually is coming from that research. I've written two books about it. Uh, yeah. In that, even the church that they organize here is not really like the European church. It's different. No? The energy there is different. The way they, yeah. they organize themselves, not just, the, not just the dressing now, but the relationship between them and this God, even though it's a European concept of God, is even different, no? So this is the African way of living the community, no? Yet sometimes it is part of the getization of of ourselves, or no wanting to uh, be part of the larger society, the European society. But it's also the reason behind it is also part of the rebellion because we don't want to lose everything that we have and just embrace Europe wholeheartedly. And we want to have something of our own. For this reason, people sort of tend to organize themselves like this so that they can eat their food, uh, do their, their own discussion, and even worship in different ways. So this is a way of passing on their story. Uh, this is something very deep uh, that we can explore, actually, but I'm just on the surface now. So let's leave it on the surface there. So which are the ways that this story was passed on that you know of, of the Jamaicans in, in UK in this sense? Because now, for you to be able to know this story, it means that it has been passed on to you. And what is very funny about human narration, about human story, is not that they will just tell you, hey, come, let me tell you about this story. No, they, you live, you just live. By living, you come to be part of it. You know it. The thing that you are supposed to know. <laughs> so tell me about this rituals. Okay, okay. So music. Music. That's it. And um, so I didn't know the depth of why they're singing like that. Um incidentally, today I, I'm going with my wife to the Bob Marley um it's a, 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 a exhibition that Bob Marley's daughter has done in the Saatchi Gallery. So the, the transmission, this is so interesting, was music. Um, so it's you know it's a it's a physical, literal, and spiritual vibration that gets you understanding this story. That's how it came across. The other part was films. So there was one film called The Harder They Come um, with, um, I forgot the guy's name, Jimmy Cliff. And there's um, other, other films called um, Countryman. And there's another film with a, a, a group called Aswad. So these, these are the films that are telling us the story. I don't know if it's, it wasn't, it wasn't really pertaining to religion. Um, but but I, I, I suppose Caribbean people and African people came and like you said, they wanted to bring that. So that way that was, I don't, I don't know if that was transmitted um, to us uh, um, enough because I remember my mum wanted to go to church and she said they, they wouldn't let her go to Church of England. So we went to another church. Um, 
so yeah how the story is is transmitted about our you know philosophies um our you know you know obviously jamaican's very christian and then you know moved into rasta rastafarianism and that was really a powerful medium for me a young black british to 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 get my head around and understand why are they doing that what does it mean they wanted to separate the, the idea i think is um Sizzler that sings a song about don't give me no white god i was like what why is he saying that is there something else that i'm missing so the the, the idea of peeling off into um the, the the beautiful word that you used i like that word the transmission of of what's coming to us and as you said we're living it too so it was it was it was through music and a small amount of film and, and a, a, you know a few people's telling a story uh, as i said we weren't that deep into religion um but oh one thing i will say to you one thing that's important is money um so in in um I know every uh, African and Caribbean country has this thing, and I don't know what it's called. In Jamaica, we call it partner. So partner is like a saving system where every week you drop money to somebody in the community. And then let's say I give, you know, 10 pounds um, every week to somebody in my family. And that means we can use that to, you know, buy a bed, buy a car, you know, put a deposit down for a house, start a business, all sorts of things. Um, when I was doing my work in financial literacy, I understood that all African countries do it. Um, South Asian countries do it as well. So that was another part of the, the kind of story that we didn't know and was not taught by being in this country. Um, so th and that's because that's, a, that's an important building block of where we go forward as Africans about, you know, understanding that. And the, and the thing about that concept where you would literally go to someone's house and say, oh, hi, Mrs. Brown, here's the partner for this week. What happens there? You're talking to Mrs. Brown. You're seeing Mrs. Brown's children, Mrs. Brown's family, the people, other people that come. So there's a communication. So as time went by and we got involved with banks, that communication goes missing because banks don't want to tell you how to invest your money or how to build your community. So that was another transmission, if you like, that we had that was part of our heritage. Do you have this in Nigeria? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Sure. You see, now this, are, <laughs> this is why I love this thing that, that I'm doing here. But now we are sort of unveiling the, the integrity of our culture. These are the robes that are tied the people together. And we must understand that they are important. I think it was in 2009, uh, I wrote uh, one of my books. Um, it had to do with African children. In this case, about me, it, it's sort of an autobiography where I talked about how children grew up in Africa, how I grew up in Africa as it were. You know? So I talked at a point about our culture a certain way that you behave as children, which of course is not really peculiar only to African children. It's everything, everywhere. Because later the book will be reviewed by uh, some uh, anthropologists here, and they will mm. hopefully say, this is what you are describing is exactly how we live here too. Unfortunately, most of these things, we are losing it here. So basically, I'm talking about the human culture here. But one thing I'm trying to point out there is that 
The human culture is so sophisticated, yeah. the way it is designed. Um, the sophistication is also very subtle in that you almost don't feel it because it is mm. a way that you mm. get into it, you live it every day. You don't that understand that you are living a sophisticated life. For example, nobody tells you that this is what you are going to do. You just know that this is what you are going to do as children now, learning how to play the game. In that kind of game that I was using as an example there, in, in, my, in the case of Nigeria, where I grew up, I talked of um, children going to hunt uh, lizard. We take uh, the catapult, go to hunt lizard, we kill the lizard, um, we go to hunt small birds and things like that. And I said in the book at a point, all these things, nobody taught us. And all these things at the point, we stopped doing them. Nobody told us to stop. And those who were younger than us keep on doing it. So then you ask your question, how do you get it, how do you get it woven in this web of cultural thing, in these activities? So it becomes important when you begin to decode this cultural thing one by one. So as a people, it is important that we learn how it functions. Because our children are going to need them. Unfortunately, of course, our children, my son, for example, now is four years. He doesn't have those kind of experience. But because he's living in a different kind of world. He, he wasn't born in Africa, so he doesn't understand that. He lived the kind of life that is lived here in Europe. But of course, through me, I'm going to tell him how I live. So that he can see if that kind of life that I live makes any sense to him. But it's left for him to make sense out of it, no? He can say, okay, daddy, that is stupid. I'm not interested. You ain't calling choice. <laughs> but I'm going to have to do my part by telling him, son, this has been my journey. This is where I'm coming from. This is what I did at your old age. But it is your choice. Do what you like, no? All right. You were saying something important before, no? That there was this uh, Jamaica uh, linguistics. And language is one of the most important part of our culture also that we need to understand. So this woman was telling you to speak um, a Jamaica language. Can you, under, can you explain a little bit what was her justification for speaking Patois? Uh, before I answer that question, I've got to just touch on what you just said, because you're saying something too interesting. Right. So, you know, fish, yeah. Fish don't know that they're in water. They don't know. The water has a vibration that affects the fish. That means fish behave in a certain way and do certain things. Um, I, don't, I don't think fish come out and say, what is this? What's going on? This is water. Oh, we're living in water. In the same way that the culture that we're in, the, in, some, in terms of our uh, DNA. Um, I was listening to a podcast last week and there was this, um, it was, uh, Oprah Winfrey and this other gentleman, Johan Hari, his name is, and he was saying about a project where, you know, children in America are not playing outside anymore. So um, they created a project. It wasn't him, but somebody created a project where they would go out and play and be safe. And interestingly enough, what did they do? They went and built camps. They went and explored. They went and tried to do, to do hunting and all of that. So 
it is something very deep rooted in I think everybody's DNA. How you know, I don't know how you teach children to do it in this kind of um sanitized, so-called sanitized place where you're not allowed to go out and you have to stay in front of a screen. Um, but it's interesting how how do we know? I remember when you were talking, I remember my brother and myself, we we had a um a pram, you know, a push chair, and he said, "Let's make a go kart." So, so we made a go kart, you know, and uh, we got our hands dirty. We got cuts and scrapes, and I tore up my coat, and uh, I never had so much fun, you know. So it's it's very important, I think, that we don't lose that idea of the story. One, but the ability to let children explore on their own. Um, and use their own imagination because that idea of imagination has been extracted from us and then re put it. You can have your imagination by playing a PlayStation or by watching television. So, yeah, what you said is what you said is interesting. So, this isn't, and this is not a woman that I met. It was a woman that I used to see on television and here on the radio. And what her justification was is the, the rhythm and the flow of the of the language, it resonated with us. It's something that um, the, the language is a is a derived from. Um, I think it might be Twi, um, the Ghanaian language. Um, so it's got it's got the language has soul, you know. There's words in there that um, you know we say, you know, Guan or Dea, uh, Medea, um, which, you know, when I look back now and I think it's just language, but it, it's got, it's got, it's got resonance and the language, I think what she was trying to say, it, 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 you know, it connects a timeline. If you dismantle your language, you're starting to dismantle your culture um, and, you know, not having, um, that as your as your as your primary go-to way of communicating um i think what she was trying to say is is going to lead to disaster you know because um you, you know you can tell a story in 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 your dialect that you can't tell it like that in english or you can't tell that story like that in italian so I think again, Louise was a storyteller, and she was a, as I said, a poet. And I think that was the important part of a cultural theme that she wanted to to ensure that was alive, you know, and and awake, and and able to connect with ourselves too, but our ancestors and our friends and our family, and you know, so there's a lineage, and that's what I think she was trying to teach us. That is very important. And we have to pass that down to the generation that are coming also after us. Because that is the only way we connect. If we do a deep uh, search, um, research, we'll come to understand that is how um, the people that were taken away from Africa managed to even have a, um, a semblance of, of identity, managed to build it and able to, to repair, despite the calculated yeah. work that was done by the enslaver to detach yeah. them, to make sure they don't connect, to make sure they don't speak the same language. There was a calculated work done there. But yet, because human beings are so sophisticated, somehow they managed to, to know a lot of things and managed to codify most of their, 
that communication um because if you cannot communicate you cannot operate and if you cannot operate mm. what are you just a, a small yeah. tool for other person to manipulate mm. all right storytelling this is what we have been talking about here today and i understand that you love storytelling and you are a storyteller now tell us how do you embark on your storytelling what do you do in your storytelling work it's not really work that i do it's 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 a way that i feel i think i feel it and i feel like it, it, it compels me to to um to write it compels me to speak it compels me to listen um um and learn um so th th i think I think I think you know you put together all of these things. My past, you know, growing up in England, uh, you know, having different challenges, um, not having you know specific role models. I think it gives me the the idea, the concept that we need heroes, small heroes and big heroes, you, you know, um, of of all sorts. And you know, my my nephew at the moment is living in Ghana. And he said, you know, this is a place where, you know, giants have come from. And so I want to hear more about that. I want to understand that. I want to feel that. I want to know how, you know, going through particular challenges can be done. I want to, I want, I want to be able to pass that on. So I, I, I feel like I'm a person that, you know, any idea that somebody's got, so long as it's safe and it's not going to hurt anybody, I will encourage them. And that's part of the st my story of being able to have that desire to encourage people to, to, to be their best, not just be their best, because that's not one thing, but be passionate about things. And in order to do that, you have to be congruent. So you have to be that person doing that so that they can see, you know, this person is a, is a an anthropologist or this person is, a footballer and they're um passionate about footballer or, or you know that th they're passionate about what they want to do so i i do my storytelling through feeling um i'm a photographer that's my first love and i realized i was looking at some of my pictures i'm like i there's a little tiny part of me in each of those photos and people will look at that photo and they will see something completely different that's part of how I would tell a story by listening. What's your story? You know, what's your story? And your story, oh yeah, so your story's like that. That's the funny thing is, my story's a bit like that. So we connect. So storytelling isn't a, a one-way thing where you tell a story and then it's transmitted to the other person. Storytelling is the bit in the middle. You know, even when people hear the word, oh, I'm going to tell you a story, the whole, demeanor changes because they want to listen they can't wait when you say it to your son he's excited daddy what's the story he wants to know but he is the story the storyteller is the story the story is the story and the person receiving the story is the story because they're looking at a story oh my god he was in the forest i wonder what i would do if i was in the forest and there was a you know i could hear a sound and it was dark it's about you the story is about you and this, this, the, the elegance of the storyteller is making sure that it's a decent story. It's got to be a good story that it, people feel connected to it. So the great storytellers, they're able to tell the story in such a way that people 
feel connected to it. It might be a little bit surreal, but still it's something that people can kind of relate to. So if you ask me that, that's what I would say. It's like, that's how I tell a story. I feel it. Mm -hmm. That's great. Now, <clears throat> what do you think are the, uh, the real benefit of storytelling, looking at the conversation that we, are have, uh, we have had today about our culture, our origin, where we are coming from? So within this context, what do you think is the importance of us Africans telling our story? It, the importance is, is, is many things. I think the importance is legacy. You know, it's legacy. You can get a book. I'm, I'm, resting, I'm resting my um, phone on a book, right? This book was written by Carl Jung, who passed away. That's a legacy. This is a legacy. It's writing his story. It's the memoirs of Carl Jung. Um, so first and foremost, the storytelling is a legacy. It's a simple, beautiful way to pass on an idea. Um, I think it's about, you know, connectivity, about seeing yourself in this and also seeing your possibilities, your challenges, um, your differences, your, uh, you know, opportunities. That there were people like you, that think like you, that, that have, have different um, ways of going about their life, but some of them like you. Um, and it's about making the, the past not fade away, but, but what's in the past, you know, Sankofa, like what's in the past that's useful, that we can kind of feel today when you're reading it, that, that will have effect and meaning for you and your family and your, and your community. Mm -hmm. Storytelling is about also having, you know, characters in there that, that, that you can relate to. And they might be outside of your understanding later on. They'll be like, oh, I can see why that character um, gave up or I can see why that character um, carried on or, or whatever. So I think for young people, that's what it's about. I was doing some work um, just last year and this girl uh, I met, young, young girl, young person girl said that, um, she was going for a job. I said, why are you going for this job? Oh, because I have to, blah, blah, blah. I got talking to her and that was not her passion, that job. So I said, what, what is it that you're passionate about? And she said, animation. And, and she, I said, oh, interesting. Not that I should be surprised. She was a black girl. Not that I should be surprised that she's doing animation. And I said, oh, what is it? The story that you're telling, what is it about? She said, it's about a girl on a ship and the ship is traveling from the West Indies to England. But the girl looks over the side of the ship and falls in the sea. And then in the sea, she realized that she can breathe and she can discover all sorts of things. And I said, oh my God, that's so interesting. You have to keep writing the book because when we talk about Windrush, you know Windrush, they don't talk about the sea. It's just this boat, the boat came to England. Boom. There were so many things that happened in between that. People got on a boat. How did they feel when they got on a the boat? They had children. Did the children play? Um, what clothes did they wear? What games did they play? What was, their, what was they doing when they were looking at the water? What were their dreams? What were their fears? And all of this. And this girl wrote this book. And I said, it wasn't a book, it's an animation. And um, I said to her, 
you have to continue. So that's the importance of the story that it's we see ourselves and, and some of the ideas are, are creative and, you know, which are things that aren't going to happen, then it is fun. And some of the things can give us this idea of the fullness of who we are, who we were, what we are, and what, what we can do. And I think those elements are, are you know, there's, there's like just a few dots, but they're not joined up as a line. So storytelling helps to create that smooth line between there, you know, going forward to, to how I would tell these stories to my um, grandchildren um, and how you would tell the stories to your son. And, you know, sometimes they don't know what you're talking about. God, God what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. And it's not until later and later that I think, okay, you know, and there's the other thing about the story, Obia, is that it's a, it's a, it's a code. There's a code in a story. And the code is, this is about you. This is about how you could live. This is about um, uh, morals. This is about ethics and principles. This is about um, our unity and our strength. That's powerful. That's interesting. All right, you talked also about um, uh, financial literacy and teaching a program that you have. Do you want to say anything about that? Yeah, so I don't teach that program anymore. Um, but um, I'm very passionate about it. So I think what, what I what I used to do is we used to do the program in a in a in a practical way, but also psychological way. So just I mean before the talk, I was thinking, well, what am I going to talk about money? And I think what I wanted to say is that money isn't power. Money is not power. Money is just money. It's just a piece of paper or digital or whatever. I think that we, you know, we need money to make sure that we can feed our children, feed ourselves and put fuel in our vehicles or put the light on, but it's not power. Um, and I think what I realise is communication is power. That's what power is. And if there's something, what, what I used to do is get people to write down, what do you spend money on every day? every week where does your money go to what are you what are you how do you budget how do you plan how do you work together with your family how do you teach your children about money and uh what does money mean to you and um kind of that kind of um so uh, you know eliciting the, the the feeling that what money means to you what does it mean to you one and what do you do with it and how do you teach your children to be good money managers um because whether they're living on their own or they're living with a partner um money's gonna come into this come into it somewhere somehow so it's being honest with what 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 you're going to do with it how you're going to spend it how you can invest it how you're going to save it um how you're going to plan so that you don't go into debt um, and because when that thing happens, that you can you can communicate about it. So the program was dynamic in the sense of looking at, you know, what does it mean today? You know, what do, how do you get out of debt? How do you plan? How do you budget? How do you invest? And how do you feel? Because the feeling impacts what you do. If you feel like, oh my god, I've worked hard all month. I'm gonna, you know, 
I'm going to go and drink or, or, you know, at the end of the week, I'm going to drink or smoke weed or whatever, because I've, I've worked so hard. And then the next thing you know, you haven't got any money. Um, and then that's going to create another feeling. And then you're going to get dependent on that and so on and so forth. So that's how I used to teach it. Um, I used to get people to, uh, to talk. I used to get people to look at pictures of, of money and talk about what it means. I used to get them to, to write, write their weekly income and outgoings um, in a way that was interesting. And, and it was not an easy program to do because I found a lot of people didn't want to talk about money. Um, I, I found that, um, you, you know, we were working in schools at the time um, and the schools were not very supportive because it was not part of the curriculum, um, which is, I just found it so interesting that, you know, we had to kind of push ourselves. I was working for this charity. We had to push ourselves into the school to be able to do that. And I, used to, as I said, I used to talk to um, people that have left university and I'd say, you went to university, you studied whatever, engineering or anthropology. What did they teach you about money? Um, what do you mean? There's no classes about money. But all of this time, you're going to college, school, university to get a job, to get a good job, so that you get money, right? Yeah. So that was my passion to kind of bring to life that bit, why I don't know, of money that is you know it's like the water we're in water we're in money let's talk about it it's just a thing let's talk about it and one of the things that you were saying earlier about why our defenses are broken is because we're not talking about money we're not talking about you know what do you do with your money where do you spend your money where do you buy that suit is it get, can i can i go and get a discount you know what if i want to buy a camera do you know a black camera shop that i can go to and get a deal or you know if we want to pool our money together and we want to buy a building. I don't know if I, I saw this film on Apple TV um, called The Banker, The Bankers. I didn't even know that this was a true story about two Americans that decided to buy up all these buildings in America. And then one day they had the audacity to buy a bank. And then they thought, oh, let's buy another bank. So they bought another bank. It's Samuel Jackson and... Uh, uh, oh, I forgot the other actor. Yeah, they bought these banks in America in the in the sixties. Um, so why can't we do that? So that's why that's the you know we have to start somewhere. We have to start with let's be honest. Let's talk about it. I've only got ten pound. Oh, you got ten pound? We'll spend nine. Or you got ten pound? Give me one pound and let's go and buy a fishing boat. Whatever, whatever. So, um. I had to move away from that because there was not enough people that wanted to do it. People just consumed with other things, um, sadly. Um, yeah, that, is, that is really a very important conversation that we can have, especially for the fact that we are talking of the money in the community because we know that it's not really that. Uh, anyway, I think I'm, I'm saying this quite often now, that there is no money within the diaspora community. It's not that there is no money. The question is that we are not really accountable for the money. The money is going, is coming, and it's going away. We are not controlling the money, and this is true all over. Whether you are looking at the African community in the United States, the UK, in Canada, in many places, of course, there are some few individuals you can point out on who have been able to organize the money. I'm not saying how rich you are. I'm just saying how to make sure that the money that is coming into the community 
is also spent in the community to help the community grow. Because in most of the cases, what we have is that the money comes, some other persons come and take the money. Of course, not that they come to steal it, but they organize mm. some program to help it go. If we haven't yeah, yet yeah. understood how money works, we don't yet understand how that is, that is happening. But if we understand how it works, we need to sign into programs that are going to be favorable to the community. All right. Now, the question I wanted to ask you while we move to the end of the, the episode is, uh, what do you think the effect of this program that you were doing was going to lead to the community? So, so the objective is to be um, able to talk to your children about money, to stop the kind of, it's like, you know, it's like you've got um, something on the wall and somebody puts wallpaper on, the, on it and then somebody puts paint on it and then, you know, the thing is still there. So what I wanted to do is to get people to peel it off and see, peel it off and peel it off. And this is, this is what money is about. This is what we can do. This is what we can think about. And so that as a, as a grandfather um, and as a father, that I talk to my children about money. What to do with your money? Do you need any help? Are you putting your money into this? Are you putting it in, into that? That is not a subject. That's it doesn't need to be um, taboo. Um, so that was my hope that people would actually speak about money. Um, the more we speak, the more we learn. The more we learn, the more creative we can be. And the more creative we can be, the more um, self-sufficient we can be. Um, so. It, but it starts with talking. It starts with talking. You know, I talked to many families and it, they didn't talk to anybody about money. Even their husbands or their wives didn't talk about it. And they told me that they were in debt, that they're struggling, that they've had to take out high interest loans. So as a community, that's one thing that we need to fix. Um, if you're in, in debt, there's places you can go to sort out the debt. Um, there's no shame in it. It happens to all of us. Um, and, and then once, you know, in, in, um, in coaching, there's a phrase, and the phrase is, I'm okay, you're okay. So we need to be okay. Yeah, and we need to know that our brothers and sisters are okay. So I, th I think that's what I wanted to do, is to have that freedom to be at, at that safe place, to be able to say, you know, I remember speaking to, to one woman and she said, oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to do the program. I spend so much money on shoes. So I said, shoes? I said, oh, how much shoes do you have? She said, you see this wardrobe, right? We was in a, we was in a, um, a house where they did a workshop. And I said, yeah. She said, if you imagine all of that wardrobe is filled with shoes and more, and I'm spending my money on shoes, right? So my therapy comes on, why? Why are you doing that? Something's missing. Something's missing from you, but then you're taking something out from your family's legacy. So for me, talking about money means the possibility of a legacy. And that's what we can't talk about with confidence like other communities can talk about a legacy. But it has to start without us being honest about what is happening today. Why? You know, can we buy a house for an investment? Who knows about it? Or, you know, can you buy your next meal? So it's that's what I wanted. That's what my hope was for 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 doing that work. That that the con a conversation continues 
um, to our young people. How will somebody connect with you? Is there any offer that you have out there? This is the moment we usually give to our guests to advertise themselves and connect with the community. Please go ahead in a few seconds. Oh, okay. So I'm not selling anything at the moment. Um, I, um, I'm creating stuff, but it's not finished. But yeah, you can you can find me on uh, Instagram or on LinkedIn. Um, that's it, really. That's good. If you've got any problems, just email me. I'll help. All right. Now, uh, looking at this conversation that we are have to date um, just now, how do you think storytelling can be uh, can be better done to uh, promote our image uh, in the world? Because you, you said something that I really pay attention to, that the power really is a communication. If you're able to tell a good story, that is even more expensive than money now. So how do you mm. think we should mm. be able to tell better story about ourselves and the community, I mean, the African and the African diaspora, so that we can um, have that which is more important than money? I think what we need to do is to tell the story, right? That's one. I think we need to be creating stories through film, art, music, and your life is a story. I think we need to tell it. Um, my father was an um, entrepreneur and he traveled to Africa and he traveled to Italy actually in the 50s, which was remarkable. Um, but what I didn't get is the whole story so um you have to tell your story to your family i think the other thing that people need to do is to turn up and listen active actively go to where those stories are being told from africans from west indians from people in the dysphoria go to find them you know whether it's on a podcast whether it's a book whether it's on i think i've got some books in here um that's written by black people um films you know um music be part of it um dance be part of it go and support those people that are telling those stories you'll be surprised how it inspires you you know so i think i think that's the important thing to do to continue uh, and rebuild rather an idea of how the story means it's, it's to go and go and go and find those stories look out those podcasts look out those films um look out those books look out those music and um, that are kind of telling you a story and tell your story and make sure you tell your children a story you know they they will the funny funny thing about children is they'll be like oh yeah dad, daddy you told me that story so much time so much time tell me the story bloody hell next thing you know they'll be telling their children that story and they'll be feeling that story and they'll be part of that story. So I think that's what we need to do is to, and I think it, it would be interesting to create a space of storytelling, to create a space of listening, to create a space of creating. If we just sat down, look, I, I don't know you, but we've just been talking, creating, creating. We have a story now. We can go back and say, oh, I talked to this gentleman, Delbuff. I talked to this gentleman, Obia. Um, in um, Italy that's a story and um, we don't know so as the story starts to unfold the characters start to come in characters start to leave events start to happen so um, yeah so I suppose my point is we can create a story if we just sat down in a space I believe in space that's my things we just sat down in space 
I bet you a story would emerge. So I think that having our own theatres, our own writing spaces, um, you know, as a, as a creative person, you need, sometimes you get inspiration by nature, but, but a lot of times you get inspiration by being around people that are creative as well. So that's what I think, you know, that we need, that space to be creative, that space to connect, and that space to be able to listen to, to and, and feel and see and listen to other storytellers that are like us. That's powerful. All right, now, is there any other thing you would like to add to the conversation? Maybe is that something more important you wanted to say to conclude it? Please go ahead. Uh, no, not really. I think, I think what I do really appreciate is the ability to speak um, you know, we we are all people that need a form of expression, you know, and I think that as a man, as a as a black man, that in, in living in this Western place, that our expression is repressed. So I just want to thank you for having the space to allow people to express themselves. And um, because you know what happens, a lot of things get repressed and push down and uh, you know I see a lot of mental health happening I see a lot of anxiety happening I see a lot of um different psychological problems happen happening so things get repressed so I just want to say thank you for having this space and um definitely listening and and being able to allow that space of um getting stuff out stuff that nobody's asked me before stuff that I had you know I paused I had to think I think about things um so as a kind of coming from a psychological point of view you know however you're going to express it you need to you know so long as obviously so long as it's safe whether that's you know I've got my I've got my journal there writing speaking so I want to thank you with my heart to allow that space for us to um express and I, I encourage everybody to listen um, you'll find something and also find your 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 passion and find your expression too. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. I've been an honor here. So everyone listening, find your old tree and make it grow. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. Bless you. <laughs> Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate and review Overhead Podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain over here a Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you in the next episode.